Tony V is coming down to Delaware. Wow. Boom. That's the introduction. <laughs> I love it. Landon right introduced, into the <laughs> and Landon introducing the Learn Lead podcast for the first time. How'd it feel? That's not the first time. I think I introduced uh, Coach Fish back episode five. May, may have introduced one or two more. Possibly. Be surprised. Possible. I've, I've snuck in there a couple times. Really excited to come down this weekend, man. I'm actually leaving in a couple hours to come down and see you. I'm excited to have you, bro. I'm going to be 24 on Monday, birthday weekend coming up. The uh, the Vez, the Vez, the kickback man is going to be hanging out with us on Saturday. Going to have all our buddies around. It's going to be a good time. Hey, I'm excited. And I apologize for flaking on you all those other times that I was supposed to come down. But hey, you made the initiative to come up. So now I got to come down, right? It's only great. and the, uh, the 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 challenge the seventy five hard challenge is non existent. We're putting thank it on God. pause. We're putting thank, it on pause. Right. At least right. until he gets back from Delaware. And you don't need to rub it. Home, <laughs> once he gets back from home, he's going to do his little fourteen day quarantine, and he'll be all right. Hey, what I what I am doing is I all my GoPro equipment just came in. I'm starting the vlog this weekend, so we're going to be vlogging. It's going to be a good time. Oh, so man. be on the lookout for that, guys. I'm definitely going to have someone edit it make it look nice we'll put it on youtube and uh you know if, if it gets some listens great if everyone wants to view it i'll keep on doing it 100 percent. and we got to give a shout out to uh to george for the the content he helped produce for us a couple weeks back the pictures he took for us and the videos and stuff like that i was just thinking out i'm thinking out loud a little bit here but he did a really good job i mean the uh the we both shot some videos my, my microphone was off but it was cool to get some swings at the bat to do something that i'm not used to doing or not comfortable doing getting out of comfort zone a little bit you're you're a lot more comfortable doing that stuff than i am but i thought george did a really good job shot some good contents took some good pictures we'll be uh putting some some advertisements out there i think on the on on the the good old facebook and instagram pretty soon hey i just want to let you know how proud i am of you you know, the, the, it's, it was, <laughs> you literally, it, it was just so evident how far outside of your comfort zone you were willing to go and you crushed it. You brought the energy. The video came out great. I mean, everything sounded great until we played it back and there was no audio. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sucked, but it was, yours, uh, yours had audio though. That, that was, I mean, that was good. Yeah, no, it was good. And I'll be posting some of the, some of that video content coming up soon. Really excited for that. Uh, really excited to bring this interview to you guys as well. Larry Moore's was something else what a what a beast 100%. what a beast my shout out to shout out to my uncle bob holcomb absolute stud in virginia and and uh his family my 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 cousin aunt meg she's my cousin who i call my aunt she's like a sister to my mom and uh all the beautiful kids they have grayson ella lily thinking of you guys um but really appreciate him introducing us to larry and and getting that that teed up yeah, Larry was an Army Ranger doing a bunch of great stuff. Went on some really crazy missions and was the uh, was in the mission that inspired the movie Black Hawk Down. So you guys are definitely want to gonna want to listen to this one. And before that, though, beep, 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 beep. we got a sticky note of the day, Landon. Let's do it. Sticky note of the day. You like my little sound effects? Uh, I didn't, and I, I can imagine if Larry's listening to this podcast, he just cringed. <laughs> Larry, I'm sorry. Sorry for you. <laughs> All right, I'm going to I'm going to go with one. Go ahead. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. By Amy Leto. That's a uh, it was powerful. It's people basically just saying this is impossible instead of let me go explore my potential. And I think that's huge. So, that's my sticky note of the day.
I have something a little a little more brief. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'd hope so. But hopefully still impactful. And you guessed again, I, I lied. Last week I said I wouldn't pick a Tony Robbins quote, but Tony I Robbins have a Tony again. Robbins quote. Last one, last one for at least a month. Progress equals happiness. Just making progress every day, I think will truly, you know, take us all. If we're if we're making our own version of progress every day, I think that ultimately will compound over time and that will lead to a happy and fulfilled life. Hashtag consistency wins. Before we go, though, I definitely want to give a shout out to CJ Finley, who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. They gave uh, Landon and I the platform on their network to share what we do for a living. And people were very responsive about it. And they were very excited to learn a little bit more about the financial side of things. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn a little bit more about the financial side of things, we'd be more than happy to talk to you and share the value with you as well. So thanks, CJ, for that. Thank you, Larry, for coming on and really hope you guys enjoy this episode. And Landon and I are going to have a great week together. We are here today with Larry Morse, Army Ranger from 1982 to 2003, inducted into the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame in 2017. He's worked in laser systems for the military in his after career, as well as many other things. He's been and is currently a board member or a consultant ambassador to various ventures, just to name a few. Uh, the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, the Army Ranger League, the Way Fund, Three Rangers Whiskey. Larry, I, I'm sure I've missed a lot in there. I know I, I looked at your LinkedIn page the other day and you had probably 15, you know, things in your timeline. So uh, feel, feel free to fill any gaps that I missed and, and just kind of tell us your story. Can you, you want to start um, from, you know, when you were a young guy getting out of high school and, you know, your story and as an, as an army ranger getting into that space and we'll tee you off to kind of start off that way. Sure. That sounds great. Um, again, uh, um, I'm not big into the the intro, so that you, you hit everything we needed. Um, I I had a boss one time in the Rangers. He always said nobody goes to the circus to watch a clown juggle one ball. So I've always tried to to use that to uh, to our benefit. So we we get, we always get a lot of things going on, and then if, if something happens, you can always say, "Hey, woo, I had four extra things going on that day." The background um, on what brought me to the Rangers is a, an interesting story. My, my brother was a cadet at West Point um, at the military academy. Um, our dad was in the Air Force, so we were, we were Air military brats and, and understood the, the service aspect of, of what we were getting into. But I was a hockey player in school, uh, enjoyed hockey and, and friends more than I enjoyed chemistry class. So my, my number one option coming out of school was to, to join the military and, and, I, and I really enjoyed that environment. So my, my brother gave me some really good advice as a 17-year-old was to, to, to join the Army and to go into a, a, a top-tier unit. And then you could use that foundation either way, whether you decide to get out and go to college, you would be more disciplined after four years, or if you decide to stay in the military – then you've got a good foundation to build on with military experience and, and, and serving in uh, the Rangers as an initial assignment certainly did that. Larry, what's the training like back when you were entering into the army as opposed to the way it is today? Um, the, the, the military changes over time um, and change isn't always a bad thing. 
Um, I think the leadership makes smart decisions on, on why they change and adjust from each generation to the next. So there are a lot of differences from when I came in in 1982 to what the military is doing now. But that doesn't mean it's bad. Um, they, they make adjustments based on the needs, based on the warfighting environment that they're going into. And the new capabilities and, and education levels of the kids coming in today are just amazing. They are, they are much more technologically advanced uh, than we were. Um, you know, our goal was to maneuver troops on, on the battlefield to, to close and destroy with the enemy. Um, and the, the, the technology that is available to the soldiers in today's fight is just tremendous. Um, having uh, UAS is having uh, all the optics and everything that's on their weapon systems. The, the night vision has advanced tremendously. Uh, so it is a much more technical space than, than what we grew up in. Uh, we, we joke that we're, we got, we're glad we served in the Rangers when we did, because they probably wouldn't let us in today. <laughs> so it's a, it isn't really a interesting how, how much it has advanced, how quickly and how far. What were the training requirements like for you back? And in, in, am I correct that 1982 was your first year as a Ranger? That's correct. I, I, sh- I showed up in the Rangers in the fall of, of 1982. So it was uh, back in the early 80s, there was a lot of uh, raids, ambushes, patrolling the, the old era uh, Ranger tactics. So we built a super solid foundation uh, that we were able to adjust and do a lot of different things from that foundation. So a lot of branches and sequels, uh, the Rangers are probably better suited than anybody uh, for different types of missions and environments just based on their training and commitment to uh, foundational training and, and getting the battle drills right. If you if you understand all the fundamentals and the, the basics, then it makes it easier to go to that next level. Mm-hmm. And these are, you know, these are probably low level civilian questions. So the questions I'm asking are coming from me trying to put myself in our, in the listeners of the, the, the popular listener, at least the most people that are listening are really curious about a lot of the basic level stuff. So what is it, what is that time frame like from the time you get through training and you, 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 you get through everything there. And obviously there's always continuing training and you're always sharpening the sword, so to speak. But what was that like for you, that time frame like, and when did you start, you know, getting deployed, going to missions. And, and what is that like, you know, when you have a family and you're, and you're, you know, and you're, you're a young guy and you got, you're trying to maintain a social life and you're trying to go out and, and basically do something that a very small percentage of human beings on this planet are capable of. Well, it's interesting. The, the, the Rangers are on a very driven schedule and they, they execute based on their, their, their training opportunities. And in the eighties and nineties, they were very uh, training focused and, environmental focus so we we would train in the in the desert we would train in the in the, the arctic and you know in the winter training and then we would train in the jungle and in central america so each quarter we would go to a different location and do a series of training events and it, it really um, sharpened our ability to to deploy to different locations uh, to train hard to to understand working with uh, coalition military and, and that type of environment so it was a, a, a very fast moving train, so to speak. Um, the, the Rangers have a, a capability to remove someone from their structure if you're not meeting the standards. Um, one of the few units in the military that has a, a summary release authority, it's called. So if, if you're not meeting the standards 
and it doesn't matter who you are or what rank you are, uh, you are removed and, and sent to another unit in the army. The, the Rangers, based on their timeline and their mission sets, don't have the opportunity to continually retrain people. They have to be at a certain level uh, and, and be able to deploy on a short notice to perform missions around the world. So it is, uh, it is imperative that those fundamentals are met, and it's imperative even more so that the standards are met. Um, I actually arrived in the Rangers early uh, based on uh, the lieutenant before me was relieved based on a, an accidental discharge. He, he was in a, they were coming off a mission. He, he fired around uh, in a patrol base at night when he was clearing his weapon. Uh, he was removed from the unit the next day. Um, so I was, I was called and, and asked if I could come to the orientation program to, to join the Rangers a little earlier than my original timeline. When the leadership decides on, let's say there's a mission and they want to assign a unit to that mission, what are some of the characteristics of that mission that says, okay, we need the Army Rangers for this one? Well, they always joke around about the, the Rangers and, and capabilities. So uh, when, when we were youngsters in the 80s and 90s, uh, there's, there's mission sets that require uh, a direct action force to come in and, and close with and destroy. So they always said, if you want something broken, um, you send the Rangers. If you want something a little more surgical, then you send um, another unit with other capabilities. <laughs> but the very, the Rangers are, are, are very capable uh, with that direct action to be able to parachute in somewhere, uh, secure uh, an area, and then uh, conduct missions from there with with very little external support. So the Rangers are built to do uh, pretty much every mission set that they uh, they train on uh, without any uh, outside support from from other units, uh, which is different from the the, the big army and, and military. Is there a common theme between some of the missions that statistically most of the missions that you went on, where there's something like extraction or just a kind of broad? Well, you, you train on a, a basic mission set based on enemy capability. So uh, airfield seizure is always one of the big ones. So if we're going somewhere, um, we have to be able to secure an airfield, um, expand that airhead, start bringing our aircraft in for additional support. So my, my unit, when I, uh, was enlisted and as an officer, as I, I came up through the ranks, um, I was at several times part of the jump clearing teams where you would jump uh, a force onto a uh, an enemy held uh, airfield, uh, secure that airfield, and get it ready for uh, our special operations aircraft to start landing, bringing in forces, bringing in gun jeeps, uh, bringing in uh, other units at that point. So it's a it's a pretty tight timeline from the initial jump, uh, secure the airfield, then start flowing everything in so we can expand and then eventually bring in other units at the, you know, the seven, 10 day mark, that kind of, uh, that kind of window. When you and I talked on the phone, I think it was probably at this point three or four weeks ago when we were talking about making this podcast happen and we were just kind of giving some brief introductions on each, on each side of the, of the phone, you were telling me a story about, you know, you'd be stateside and you'd have a, I think you said you'd have a go bag on you at all times, but you always were wearing plain clothes. Can you talk to the guests about what it's like to find out you're about to go somewhere, what that process looks like for, me, looks like for you as a whole? Well, yeah, it was interesting at, at different points um, in your career, you're, you're on um, uh, RRF1, it was called Ranger Ready Force. So there, there's different levels of, uh, of readiness. So the 
the number one in the sequence. They're the ones that have to be ready and have to be uh, eligible to deploy uh, for the first unit to go. And then there's somebody else that's in the training cycle and then somebody else might be on uh, leave or, or vacation at that point. So it's, it's, it's always a, a readiness equation and then different units are, are, are different capabilities and how quick you have to turn. Um, I, I had the honor of working at the joint special operations command and they're on a very tight schedule. So we had, we had bags in the office. Um, you, you, you always had a pager on your belt. And if, uh, if you were notified, you had to go somewhere, you, you drove straight in, grabbed your bag and off you went. Um, so it was a, a very tight timeline and, uh, and somewhat stressful at times knowing that, Hey, I, I have to be careful when I'm on this alert status to make sure I'm always available, always ready. Uh, physically and mentally, um, I have to I have to make sure I'm not out at a bar with friends, uh, making a bad decision that that becomes worse when I can't travel if I'm supposed to. At the time, were you were you married? Did you have kids at the time? Um, when I first came in, no. Uh, so you live that 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 wildlife of um, the ten feet tall and bulletproof. We we did whatever we felt fit within a certain right and left boundary. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun. We, we traveled around the world and we were 19, 20 year old kids who didn't have a lot of responsibility other than taking care of the ranger on your right and left. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. a, it was a really tough environment where you, you trained hard, but you, you played hard and uh, you worked hard. So it all, it all fit together really well. I, I, I was married later in my career and children and that, changes the perspective quite a bit where you, you know, that when I'm deployed somewhere, uh, I have the responsibility of the 40, 50 Rangers that are underneath me, or as a commander, you know, the 180 people that are underneath me, uh, and a family at home. Uh, so there's, there's an additional, um, requirement there to, to maintain that responsibility to all these different, you know, your military family and your, and your real family at home. You know, the, the cliche question I'm sure you get all the time is the Battle of Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down, all those things. But what are some missions that stand out to you in your career over over 20 years? Well, it's interesting because they, they, they grew um, over time and, and different perspectives and, and capabilities. So as a, as a young ranger, I, I deployed to uh, Grenada in 1983, um, and I, I learned firsthand – uh, the importance of of being surrounded with good people. Uh, you 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 have good people on your right and left. You really never have to worry about what they're doing because you understand they're doing the right thing. Uh, the the Ranger Creed uh, is a is more than just a, a six stanza document. Um, it, it is something that they they live by that they deploy by, um, and you feel comfortable knowing that everybody has this very similar mindset. So from Grenada as a young, young soldier and then, you know, preparing for and, and, and deploying to other missions, uh, Somalia, uh, for the, the big fight down there in Mogadishu. Uh, a year later, we were getting ready to go to Haiti and then the jump was called off, uh, within, within, you know, a few hours of executing it. Um, and then again, as we continued to deploy, you know, after 9-11 in the, into Afghanistan and the, uh, it, it grew in responsibility and capabilities, but I, I don't think one stands out more than the other. Um, we, we understand our role when we're forward deployed, we're, we're representing 
um, our country, and, and we understand this is bigger than us. Um, you know, it, it says, you know, U.S. Army on our name tags. It, it's not about um, Larry Moore's at that point. It's about the, the element that we're with and the a nation that we're responding for. Larry, I know you probably get this a lot, but do you mind expanding a little bit on the Battle of Mogadishu? I know, I mean, people are definitely going to want to hear about it. There was a movie, Black Hawk Down, inspired by it. So what do you think the the inspiration behind that came from? Well, I think uh, when you look at 1993, um, there hadn't been a, the 80s. There was a, the, the missions through the 80s with Grenada and, and Panama in 1989, but uh, Somalia turned into a, a, a big fight um, on the 3rd and 4th of October when the, the Blackhawks were shot down. Uh, it gained a lot of visibility based on you know, Mark Bowden's book, uh, Black Hawk Down, and then the subsequent movie screenplay that was released in uh, 2001. So it, it gained a lot of visibility and, and, and knowledge about what happened uh, based on that timeline and, and additional people getting to see so it was, it was almost, you know, not eight, nine years after the mission when the movie was released, but it, it's still to this day, um, people understand that mission because they've, they've read the book or they've, they, they've seen the movie. So from that aspect, um, you know, our group as mission participants, you know, we look at that as an opportunity to, to continue, continually, um, highlight the effectiveness of our community and our ability to get in a very difficult situation and, and be successful coming out the other end. Um, I, I spent the last weekend, uh, I just got back Monday night from a, an, a gathering of, of, of Ranger warfighters and soft uh, folks at a compound in Northern Tennessee. And we were brought together. It was people who had fought from Grenada to Somalia, to Panama, to the current war on terror. So it, it's always refreshing to get together with a bunch of like-minded um, warfighters and, and share stories and, and understand that veteran connectivity and, and how all these missions tie together and, and keep building this legacy of, of, of special ops warfighters over time. Do you Reverting back just to the movie a little bit, do, do you think the, the movie accurately depicted what actually happened there? And also, did you have a, a hand to play in the creation of that? Um, I did not. Um, we had a, a, a series of advisors um, that that worked with uh, Ridley Scott and his team as they were doing the filming in, in Morocco. So there was actual uh, you know, aviation folks and, and, and mission folks that were there. Um, I, I was um, not available, just continue. Uh, I was still serving on active duty as, as they were doing the filming. So I, I was not available to do that. Um, uh, I, I think uh, you know they did a, an accurate portrayal of the intensity of a fight. It's it, it's hard to to put everything that happened during that two day span into a screenplay. Um, so his and the intent of the Hollywood team to show the intensity of it and and, and things that go on, uh, I thought was well done. I, I I try not to be a Hollywood critic uh, from a mission participant standpoint. So. Um, I've, I've watched it once. Um, my, my wife, um, asked me to see it. I was traveling. Um, we were, um, we were not married at the time, uh, but she asked me to come to Atlanta to see the movie. It, it was very difficult to sit through. Um, as I'm sure you can understand uh, that I knew who all those kids were uh, in the movie that were being portrayed and wounded and, and killed in the movie. So from that aspect, 
um, it, it takes on a little bit different flavor when you, you sit there and, and, and watch the intensity and uh, a lot of uh, memories flashing back. Is there anything that you have learned about human beings in these times of life or death that you didn't know before you stepped onto the battlefield? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, there's a lot of training that's conducted beforehand to test yourselves, to, to get yourselves ready. We, we, we train on a very um, high level and, and high risk operations. Um, but the last thing you want to do is train at such a high level that you're losing people in a peacetime environment uh, due to a safety violation or, or you cross that risk threshold. So a lot of times you don't know how people are going to react to an enemy situation until they're actually in an enemy situation. So um, the, the the battle in, in Somalia was was no different. Um, you know, we we had conducted six major operations in country prior to the battle on the third and fourth. Um, so there was uh, a lot of a lot of fighting. There was a, a lot of gunfire. There was troops that were wounded. Um, but the, 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 young Rangers and, and the, you know, the people that we were deployed with, um, you know, everybody conducted themselves, uh, you know, with amazing uh, capabilities to watch, uh, the war fighters in, in a very difficult situation, you know, make decisions to step up into new roles because someone's been wounded, uh, to, to understand, uh, the mission, uh, requirements and the importance of what we were doing. You know, you know, once the two Blackhawks were shot down in the city, uh, it was a, a complete understanding on our part that, that we were going back in there and, re- and, and getting everybody off of those two objectives. Uh, if it was the last thing that we were able to complete. So, um, everybody knew that we had to get from point A to point B. Um, we didn't know how difficult it would be and, and how long the fighting would take. Uh, so, uh, you know, from, a from a warfighter perspective, you know the the from the youngest ranger to the most senior person on the objectives, you know, everybody conducted themselves uh, in, in an amazing manner. You know, there was, there was very little um, getting people to 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 get people over a hump that they were not ready to uh, or prepared for, so to speak. Um, every ranger understood the criticality of. Uh, of the mission at that point and, and we're, you know, laser focused on, on, on getting to those two crashed helos and, and extracting all the casualties and, and everybody that was there. And I feel like it defines the true meaning of what brotherhood really is. This weekend, we, we, we spoke about some of this um, and, and it was interesting because some of the, um, some of the kids were 18 years old. They, they had been, uh, in the military, you know, seven, eight months. Um, and this was their first trip, uh, so to speak in, in, in uniform. Uh, they, we went on this deployment, obviously not knowing how it would turn out. Uh, but, um, they, they, they handled themselves very well for, for 18, 19 year old kids to, to get in a battle like that. And, uh, and, and then to see them today, 26, 27 years later, um, it's very refreshing as well, how they were able to turn this this mission, which pushed them to the, the top of the adversity scale um, and, and use it to their benefit because they, they know they've been through their worst days. So they use it as a, uh, a measuring stick uh, to 
prepare themselves for the future to 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 go back to school to to do well in their jobs to to help with their families. So it's it's refreshing to see even after uh, a very difficult mission like that 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 people uh, use it as a uh, a positive step. Obviously, it was a, a very difficult situation, but they they use it as a, a measuring stick uh, and and continue to progress afterwards and and get better and better. What are some of the the exercises and drills that you guys did to build your leadership capabilities during the time in the military? I think the military does a good job uh, from a military leader development structure um, in training people uh, for each subsequent level for promotions, for, for advancements, for new positions. So that, that is pretty built into the, the military hierarchy. So at each level, you get to go to another set of schooling. You, you understand what that next level that you're moving into uh, requires, how you're, how you're to prepare yourself for each of those positions. So uh, from that regard, I think uh, the, the Army does that and the special operations community does that well. Um, from a unit perspective, um, a lot of the training and additional work that you do, I think, is what, is what builds those bonds and, and, and allows people in difficult situations like we were in, in, in Somalia. It's not just, uh, the training environment that you go through. So we, uh, the summer before we deployed to Africa, we had been on a series of, of missions and, and deployments to prepare ourselves for something like this. So we, we trained in, in Korea. We, we jumped into Korea in the spring of that year. We went to Thailand and trained with their rangers uh, over a long period over the summer. And and through these deployments and trainings, we just became better and better at what we did. But we also had a better understanding of each other and, and where someone's weaknesses might be or where someone's strengths might be and how to balance those elements going forward. Um, I, I think this this team building and, and leadership advancement is, is more than just going to a school and, and more than just training in different environments. It's that whole package. It's, it's seeing people outside of work. It's, it, it, it's, it's drinking a beer in a foreign country and seeing someone outside of uniform and, and talking to them about some family problems they might have. So when we put that whole package together and, and Private Smith knows that you, 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 you understand who he is, how he's trained, um, and, and what he's thinking about other than being a ranger is, is part of that, um, environment that you develop to make him better for a situation like Somalia. So these, these young kids, even though they were young and, and less experienced, they understood the mission, they understood the intent and they understood the, the criticality and they had special bonds that they had built with those rangers on the right and left. Uh, so they, 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 they fought harder. They understood the need, uh, they, they, they were able to push themselves to levels that they probably didn't think they could push themselves to, uh, but they, they, they had been, they had been prepared well for it and they continued to advance. And, and, and again, on the, the third and fourth of October, we couldn't have asked for anything better than what they provided for us. They, they were tremendous. So you, you fast forward to 2003, uh, two years after nine 11, um, you you retire from as as a ranger, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was uh, so, 
I, I had gone out to school at Fort Leavenworth, uh, that, that next level leadership schooling, and I ended up retiring uh, from that location. What was that transition like for you? And can you tell our guests, you know, some of the things you were telling me on the phone that you got into after that? And obviously, I want to we want to fast forward after this and talk about 2017 for you and, and what that means to you as well as all your brothers. But um, can you talk about that transition, um, what that was like for you and what the decision was behind that? The transition out of the army um, is is difficult uh, for for many reasons. Um, the 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 biggest thing I think is that, is that you build those bonds. You you build a brotherhood that's not matched in any other environments. Um, I have some great friends that I grew up with, um, that I went to school with, that I um, have met over time. But there's no bonds like the ones that you build when you fight for your life with someone. Uh, so there's a, there's a special connectivity there. And I think when you, when I made the decision to retire and you knew you were leaving that, um, I, I had a tough time understanding where you could replicate those kind of bonds going forward. Um, I, I, I had served nearly 21 years in uniform. I, I loved what I did. And if I had to do it all over again, um, I would do it the exact same way. Um, but I, I made a decision based on family. Um, I was, I was 38 years old. I, I had a lot of time in front of me to, to try something new. Um, and I, I thought it was the right time to do that. Um, sometimes I, I, I will sit around and wonder, you know, what it would have been like if I would have spent 10 more years and, and what could have become of that. But I can, uh, I can always what if that you know forty seven different ways, <laughs> but it doesn't change the outcome. Uh, again, I I love the decision I made. Um, you know, starting starting something new, uh, staying connected with the the defense world and in different capabilities. Uh, but it's it's nice to to have a pension from the military to have some uh, flexibility, so to speak, with a uh, an umbrella underneath you. Uh, with uh, a lot of training, uh, a lot of capability, and then uh, trying that that next step in uh, the the outside world. Yeah, let's talk about the your your life after military, right? So I remember you were telling me you you, you did some you did some work in DC, and, and it sounds like you continue to do so. Could you tell our guests a little bit about what your life in the I don't know if calling it the private sector is the, is the proper terminology? But could you talk about some of the things that you've been up to over the last fifteen years? Sure. Um, I, again, I've, um, I, I did somewhat of a role reversal when I, when I got retired. So I, um, I retired in 2003 and I got uh, married in, uh, 2004. Um, so I took my uniform off and, um, my wife uh, stayed in the military. So uh, a little bit of a change. Um, I, I, I worked for, uh, some defense firms. Uh, we moved from West Point, our, our, we had two daughters that were born there at the military academy in uh, 2005 and 2006. Um, moved to Washington D.C. Lived in the Alexandria area, but worked for some defense firms there in town. Uh, really enjoyed that because it, it gives you that connectivity um, to the warfighters to 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 support them from a, a different capability and 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 setting, uh, but still having an effort with the the war that was ongoing. So, what what does a day in the life of Larry Moore's look like today? What's well, that's funny you ask because uh, I'm glad we're not on the on a video, just the audio today. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's uh, again I mentioned the flexibility piece. 
Um, I think we're all um, dealing with that today with the ability to, to work remotely, um, to, to serve uh, in these capacities. Uh, again, I, I work on a project uh, with directed energy. We're, we're traveling some, but not like we did the last year, 18 months. Um, uh, a lot of things have changed on capabilities just based on our inability to travel uh, with COVID, with, with everything that's going on. So, um, I, we, we have an office here at the house, so we have the capability to, to maintain our connectivity. Um, my, my wife continues to work for the government as well. She's a, a government civilian working on the joint staff here in the Virginia beach area. Um, if, if we have to do something from a, um, a classified perspective, obviously we can't do that at home. So we have facilities that we have to go to. So we still maintain a, a office type work structure. Um, but you know, right now, um, uh, I, I, I love the work committed to the effort. Again, we, our son, um, is 22 years old. He's, uh, currently stationed in Italy, uh, with the 173rd airborne. So another, another generation of paratrooper. Um, he just got back to the States this week and is starting the special forces selection course, um, wow. next week. Um, so we're, wow. we're proud of him, but part of the work we do today is to help with the young soldiers that are wearing a uniform, uh, after we did. Uh, so knowing that we have children that are serving now and uh, my brother is a retired officer as well. And his wife, uh, they have three children in uniform. Um, so we know that our work is, is still, uh, having a direct impact on, um, Moors and uniform and others. Uh, but, um, knowing that the leadership is solid, knowing that these new advancements in technology are helping out, uh, again, keeps us connected, uh, allows us to uh, support the effort and, and, and be a part of this for our country. Um, I love to play golf. So that's part of my time. Um, I have a, we have a 13 year old who will be a freshman this year in school. They actually start next week and she's been on the golf team at school for the last three years and uh, we'll be a freshman this year. Um, we're playing in a summer tournament every Wednesday night. So we're going out to this afternoon to solidify our second place ranking with a father daughter combo. So we're, uh, we're holding nice. our own against 14 teams nice. in the neighborhood. Uh, so hopefully we can uh, stay there as the, the playoffs start in a couple of weeks. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be political here. I have a question for you as a veteran. What are your thoughts on the the whole kneeling for the flag and, and everything in that space? Well, um, again, I, I, I respect people's decisions and their ability to do what they, they wish. Um, so um, I don't like it when people comment on decisions I make. Um, so I try not to step outside of my box into somebody else's to, to, to try and figure out why they're doing what they do. Um, mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, I think we are in a space right now where there's a lot of discourse, um, a lot of divisiveness that is unnecessary. And, and we're looking for ways to stay divided versus trying to find ways to get connected and to, to be united. So um, that would be my, my point is, how do we, with a common goal of unity, which we talk about a lot, 
but it seems like we have a hard time getting there. Uh, so if we can, if we can get past some of the, the divisive things and, and the triggers um, of, of what's causing the divisiveness and understand that we, we all uh, have the ability to live in America, you know, the, the greatest country on earth um, for those of the listeners who haven't traveled um, to a lot of places around the world and, and seen um, what things look like that aren't united and things that aren't as honorable as where we live. Um, I would suggest they travel a little more before they go out and yell at somebody and tell them that they, uh, they don't deserve what they have. Uh, so um, it's a, it's a, it's a tough time what we're going through, but you know, we as a society in the United States have created some of these problems. Um, and we as a society have to fix them. Um, a lot of these problems are not going to be legislated out. So if we're hoping we can elect someone and it will turn the tide, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so the common ground that I mentioned a minute ago, uh, we need to figure out how to get more people in that common ground, stop being divisive uh, and start preparing ourselves for, uh, a, a more united, uh, a, a better America than what we're witnessing, uh, the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And, and to backtrack too, you, you mentioned defense firms, uh, you worked for some defense firms after the military. Can you tell, uh, for, I'll speak for myself. I have little to no idea what that means. And I'm sure, uh, it would shed some light for our guests too. It sounds really interesting. Would you be able to kind of shed some light on, on what the defense firms you worked for and, you know, the value they provide in the marketplace? Sure. Well, the, the, the big, the big defense firms of uh, Northrop Grumman and United Technologies, uh, Raytheon, uh, you know, they provide a lot of resources and capabilities for our warfighters. Uh, so it's a, it's a good landing spot for someone who's taking off a uniform uh, to go to work. Uh, I worked for L3 Communications, one of the big defense firms that does a lot of different platform work. And they also do uh, a lot of work in the service industry. So we provided um, a large variety of trainers to work overseas uh, to provide uh, capabilities uh, outside of uh, the military that, that they learned in uniform, but uh, had a different capacity. So I worked in the, the international group of a service company, uh, again, providing capabilities, uh, in a lot of the places I went to in uniform. Uh, so the Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, uh, Africa, uh, helping out with developing, uh, nations to, to become better from their ministry of interior ministry of defense and those type of capabilities. So again, good work, um, to, to help build these coalitions and, and make countries stronger. So everybody carries their share. We fast forward to 2017. You got the U.S. Army Ranger Hall of Fame. How, can you can you talk about your thoughts on that? What it means to you? What it means to you know your your career? And then can you kind of talk about what you got going on in your life today, professionally? The phone call that I received in in 2017 to to let me know that I had been inducted into the Hall of Fame was something that I never thought I would receive. Um. I, I loved serving in the Rangers and I, I, I had the honor of serving and, and leading Rangers in numerous assignments and, and locations. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and it was a, 
it was a big uh, team effort of of mentorship and leadership and and the ability to uh, to overcome adversity, to overcome obstacles, to overcome training shortfalls. Um, so, um, uh, again, sitting on a stage in at Fort Benning in, in Marshall Auditorium, um, I, I had in, in the Infantry Center at Fort Benning is. Uh, Marshall Auditorium is the big auditorium where you commonly go to for graduations from other level schools and officer candidate school graduated there and a lot of different uh, capabilities and training. But the Ranger Hall of Fame um, ceremony was was very powerful, um, sitting on the stage with Rangers from World War II, uh, from Merrill's Marauders, from China, Burma, from uh, from uh, Korea, uh, from Vietnam. Uh, there was two Medal of Honor winners inducted in my um, Ranger Hall of Fame class, so it was it was a very powerful day and, and very emotional. Um, but it was the culmination of um, years and years and years of of mentorship and leadership, uh, both from mentors and leaders that I worked for, and mentors, uh, mentorship and, and leadership that I provided. Uh, so it was. It was an amazing day. Uh, still to this day, um, I um, I joke uh, that they uh, in 2017 they they didn't have a big pool of candidates, so it was easier for them to to nominate myself. Um, um, it, we we had met the night before the ceremony at, at the Infantry Museum in Georgia, and one of my bosses and mentors was there, and he was talking to another general officer, and he was joking about. The, the selection list when it first gets released it's a it's a it's a great day for the community to to highlight some uh, past legacy warfighters and and my old boss was talking to the general and he said he said when i when i saw my name on the list i knew something was wrong and then he goes when when i saw larry's name on the list i really knew something was wrong <laughs> so it was very uh it was uh, trying to lighten up the situation a little but it was a, it, it was a great event, um, and today, um, I think that induction uh, in 2017. It's been three years. Um, this year's uh, Ranger Hall of Fame class has been postponed uh, until next summer, uh, and they will induct the 2020 and 2021 classes together uh, because of everything that's going on with the uh, coronavirus. Um, so. It'll be even more powerful next year with two classes worth of Rangers um, to, to be there uh, and get inducted into a very mm-hmm. small uh, brotherhood uh, of warfighters that are that are part of that community. Uh, so, again, that means a lot to me. Um, it has given me the opportunity to speak um, at different locations. I've, I've been invited to Northern Ireland to speak at Carrickfergus, which is where the Rangers were first stood up in 1942. Um, and, and different venues. Um, but again, I think it's important that as a veteran, as a, as a former Ranger, um, and now a, a member of the Hall of Fame, that, that we tell the story about these veterans, that we, we help with this um, linkage between our small veteran population. Only 7% of American society has ever served in uniform. So we have to close that gap and get this word out about how these veterans handle themselves about the capabilities that they have about the heroism that they've provided uh, to allow us to be who we are today. 
Um, so I, I take that very seriously and, and love the opportunities to, to speak about veterans, to, to speak about uh, Rangers and, and, and share that story about uh, the heroes that we got to serve with and, and, and be a part of making history for our country. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm hopping all over the place a little bit because I want to make sure I hit every point that I have here, everything I want the listeners to hear. Um, can you talk about Three Rangers Whiskey and talk more about the Special Operations Warrior Foundation? Obviously, two separate ventures, but could you talk about that and how it's been impacting your life over the last you know, five, ten years? The, the decision was made of, um, five or six years ago, I guess. My wife and I decided that we were going to start putting more time and energy into um, the nonprofit space and give back to a community that's done so much for us. Uh, so at, at some point, we have to we have to understand that there's been a lot done to get us where we are, and we have to reverse that and and give back to the other side and 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 help these organizations that mean so much for the for the current warfighters. So the the Lead the Way Fund that I served with on the board, uh, a great organization that directly supports the uh, the Ranger Regiment, uh, providing for wounded Rangers. Uh, they, they do house makeovers for. Uh, you know, people who have uh, injuries that, that require um, house rebuilds. It's just amazing to watch these families as they're being supported. And, and the, the, the behind the scenes patriots that fund these organizations are tremendous. Um, the Special Ops Warrior Foundation that I, I'm a part of now is uh, one of the older um, special operations support structures. Uh, they were formed based on the mission in Iran uh, for the hostage rescue in 1981. So the the Special Ops Warrior Foundation grew out of those special operators that were killed uh, on that mission and has been growing ever since through the 80s and 90s and the, the current war on terror. So it's, it's great to be a part of their organization and help out. Um, uh, I'm currently working with a, a friend of mine who works at Walmart at the corporate headquarters and and trying to develop a, a linkage with an internship program for the kids that are in college. They're funded by the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Uh, they've lost a parent in the war, um, and, the, and the, they, they connect them with internship programs as they're in college to, to prepare themselves for their jobs after, after graduation. So, again, tremendous connectivity and uh, love the work that they're doing, and like I said, the patriots that support them. Uh, and the, the the three rangers whiskey there How, what's, yeah, what's that three rangers whiskeys is a is a fun little project um i've always said if you can get connected with the whiskey company there's a lot of benefits there so i oh yeah oh yeah i, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy the i enjoy the team um i guess it was about 4 years ago um i was uh they they reached out to me um the 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 story behind it um one of the rangers that we fought with in somalia um he, he, like a lot of veterans, um, was doing some course corrections, trying to figure out what he wanted to do after he took his uniform off. Um, eventually ended up at a distillery in Chicago, Illinois. Um, went in there with that same Ranger work ethic. Hey, I'm, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to give it 110%. And I'm going to, I'm going to show these people that even though I don't have a background in distillation and, and, and this work, um, I'm going to show them uh, that if they hire me, um, they will realize that they made the right decision. So John went to work there, uh, became a master distiller. They had offered him his own product line. So he uh, developed the uh, Three Rangers whiskey. It's a, um, 
a premium rye whiskey, um, which is getting a lot of traction this year. Uh, some new contracts, uh, some new states that they're distributing to. Uh, we have a contract with the Navy Exchange uh, and the Army and Air Force Exchange system. So the military bases have um, some of the whiskey available. Uh, it's expanding to more states. And California just started a, one of our reps lives out there, just started a, a, a online sales program. So there's even more capability to, to order it now. Um, it's a very good whiskey. Um, and it has, um, it's very interesting. If you, if you see the label, um, it has a lot of markings on it that are very distinguishable to rangers and paratroopers. Uh, it says right on the bottle, not for the weak or faint hearted, um, which is, which is a poster, a banner that hangs over the obstacle course at the Darby queen at, at ranger school, when you go to Fort Benning. Um, and then there's a, a lightning bolt, a parachute, the, uh, the North star, um, and, and the, uh, the gold star for the uh, gold star families that are on the bottle as well. So the gold star families that we take uh, so much interest in uh, as our nation should for parents and, and siblings who have lost uh, a service member uh, during the current war. Uh, so um, the three Rangers whiskey is a fun project. Um, I worked with them on their nonprofit side for a couple of years. I ran the, the Three Rangers Foundation, which is a foundation that supports mentorship and, and capabilities for the Rangers that are leaving the military. Uh, so that was fun from a nonprofit standpoint. Um, I was replaced by Mike Hall, who is a retired Ranger Regimental SAR Major, and he retired as a, a senior SAR Major. He, he worked for General McChrystal in Afghanistan before he retired. So he's very well uh, respected and, and connected in the community and is doing even better with the three Rangers foundation. Um, again, the whiskey, uh, I, I started working for them about six months ago and we're, we're building our presence and, and distribution, but it's a, uh, it's fun. It's a, it's a good product. It's a, it's a great business card to leave somewhere. Um, but we want people to, to not just buy a bottle because it, it's a, it's a great bottle and it has linkage to Rangers and, and the Ranger mission in Somalia. Uh, but we want people to buy it because it's a really good whiskey product as well. So if you if you get a chance uh, and we can find you a bottle, um, we'll uh, we'll let you guys uh, test it and uh, maybe you can do a review on your on your podcast and get it. Oh, absolutely, whiskey. Absolutely, we gotta Tony. We gotta send Larry a box of our our wristbands. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And uh, really excited to try that whiskey for sure. Uh, so, Larry, we really appreciate you coming on and giving us so much wisdom and so much uh, background of your experiences. So just to wrap it up, what is something that you'd like to leave our listeners with in regards to leadership and how we can better other people's lives? Well, I think the biggest thing on leadership is that you know it's, it's a it's always a continual growth process. You know, just when we think we figured out the leadership thing, something pops up and and we're not ready for it. So if we're if we're not taking it to the next level, if we're not always studying, if if we're not looking at historical context, then we're we're, we're not going to be as ready as we think we are uh, when something hits us out out of out of left field. So um, I think our our current environment that we're in right now in, in, in the United States is a, is a pretty decent example. We, we, we were, um, you know, fighting a, a coronavirus um, that we were uh, not completely prepared for. Um, and then, you know, we had some, some riots and some stuff going on in our country. Um, and I think some of the leadership shortfalls are, are highlighted when we get into uh, times of 
uh, crisis and adversity. So when, when everything's going smooth and you're a leader and you don't have a lot of challenges, uh, that's a good time to be a leader. Um, but when you're a leader and you get some adversity and you get some speed bumps along the way, you need to be able to overcome them and, and help out the people that you're leading. Uh, so whatever we do to prepare ourselves, whether it's uh, additional leadership training, uh, group training, uh, you know, how do we how do we get our staffs? How do we get our teams better? Um, how do we hire people to come in and, and, and train our teams to be better prepared for adversity? Those are the things that we need to look at. So, uh, again, keep studying. Um, keep doing your podcast, guys. This stuff is fantastic. And and having the ability to, to sit through and listen to different people's perspective on leadership and what made them better, uh, this is exactly what we need. So, again, I, I appreciate, appreciate the time. Uh, I appreciate being able to be online. Thank but you. We, we need to keep pushing that as well. Appreciate you saying those kind words. And Larry, on behalf of Tony and I, as well as all our listeners, I'll speak for them as well and say, you know, we appreciate your sacrifice as well as your brother's sacrifice. And just across the board, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, maybe we'll have to have you back on because I know there's a million things I'll prob- I probably missed today. So we, you know, we'd love to have you back on at some point in the future. And we're grateful to have had you on today. I appreciate that. Um, again, thanks, guys. And uh, keep, uh, keep pushing the leadership message. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Learn Lead Podcast, where you get to own your life. Stay tuned for our future guests coming soon. Make sure to like and subscribe.